Welcome to this Catholic Concern for Animals podcast. This is our second reading from Climate Crisis and Sustainable Creaturely Care, Integrated Theology, Governance and Justice, edited by Dr Christina Nellist. Chapter 15. Fish, the Forgotten Species, written by Chris Fegan and Dr Gerald Taylor. The whole thing smells very highly of what are those things called that swim around in the sea? In living memory, since the end of the Second World War, our planet's marine environment has been transformed. Environments, once teeming with life, have been destroyed and vast areas of our oceans, not in one isolated place, but across the whole globe, have been made hostile and unfriendly to almost any kind of life. The oyster beds in the southern North Sea, which once made oysters a cheap and plentiful food, have disappeared and resources in many waterways have shared their fate. Daniel Pauley and Jay McLean paint a vivid picture of the effects on one part of the ocean. Hundreds of feet below the surface, along the continental shelf off the coast of Maine, where the Andrea Gale might once have fished, the bottom is smooth. In many places, except for the tracks left by a few thin worms, the animals have largely left without a trace. The muddy water moves lazily back and forth, as if swinging with the muffled sound of the waves hundreds of feet above. There are no fish. But humans have made their mark. Beer cans roll back and forth over the bottom, either from a fishing vessel or from one of the cruise ships that ply that part of the ocean. A few feet further into the murk, we might see torn bits of coarse nylon mesh form a ghostly shape, swinging with a beer can. Like most of George's bank, this area has been trawled. The tracks cannot be missed. They are left by the rollers of a deep bottom trawler, a contraption about the size of a football field dragged over the ground to catch fish and whatever else lies in its path. Trawlers plough this part of the ocean several times a year. A few years ago, there might have been a reef here, shimmering with small colourful fish, darting about beds of gorgonians and other magic plant-like animals. Now it is a low, scarred hill. This devastation has been wrought by the desperate and unrelating pursuit of one creature, fish, or as Jonathan Balkan would say, fishes, by another creature, humans. In this pursuit, dominated by profit, it is tempting to suggest that we humans have decimated fish populations. Tempting, but inaccurate. Decimated suggests a reduction of one-tenth, ten percent, a more accurate term might be based on the Roman term for 90, nonaginta. It would be more accurate to create a new term for the loss of fish populations, to say in many places they have been nonagimated. A major player in this destruction, this nonagimation, has been large trawlers engaged in industrial scale fishing and heavily subsidised by government agencies. These massive and massively destructive leviathans 
quite literally plough our oceans, not just at the expense of the marine environment, but also of other fishers, notably small artisanal local fishers, many of whom have been raising the alarm for years with respect to the health of fish populations in their local area. The small and artisan fishers have been ignored, however, in favour of the large industrial concerns. Indeed, in some cases, subsidisation of such trawlers has enabled fishing to continue even when catch levels were no longer viable. As Pauline McLean put it, the non-fishing public that is interested in the ocean might be wondering why their tax money should be used, as it is now, to subsidise a form of fishing which leads to the destruction of the biodiversity of the sea and ultimately to the destruction of the very resource base upon which fisheries and fishing communities depend. When asked about why governments listen to industrialised fishing concerns and not the small fishers, who, after all, are more likely to be based within their polity, Daniel Pawley observed, small-scale fishermen don't play golf. This view of the lobbying power of large business in fishing and fisheries can only make attempts to protect existing fish populations and to help their recovery more difficult. In addition, the loss of vast numbers of fish from the oceans has allowed other species to move into the vacuum in both the food web and wider ecology. As Clover points out, what has happened is that predatory fish have been removed from the system. We are not even sure whether the system will allow them back, whether what we are seeing is a one-way ecosystem flip. So even if we manage to protect fisheries and fish populations, to allow their recovery, for some fish at least, this may be far too late. How have we allowed this situation to occur? Why have we been so neglectful of our oceans, and particularly of the fish which dwell within them? In this chapter, we will contend that fish have been the forgotten species. We will ask why this was the case, and consider why and to what extent the lack of concern or interest in fish is changing. Scales states that fish are one of the greatest success stories of life on Earth. They dominate the oceans and fresh waters that cover more than seven-tenths of the globe's surface. The planet's oceans cover around 71% of the planet's surface, and there is another roughly 1% of fresh water, meaning that almost three-quarters of the Earth is covered in water. It would not be a great surprise, therefore, to expect that most of the living creatures that inhabit the planet live in this medium. And indeed, that is so. Over 30,000 species with individual fish in numbers similar to those of birds, amphibians, reptiles and mammals together lie beneath the waters. So why is it that fish have been neglected and overlooked in human history, and particularly given their symbolic role in Christianity? Reading ends on page 222 and continues on page 231. For us, this is where faith can make a telling contribution by providing a different perspective, an alternative view. Until now, Christian belief has not been very helpful. As we have seen, it has tended to prioritise land animals and particularly those capable of sacrificial use. Fishermen themselves 
early Christian and modern Christian as well, have tended to see fish as a bounty from God, an inexhaustible resource. That changed, for Catholics at least, in 2015 with the publication of the encyclical Laudato Si by Pope Francis, which was unusually addressed not just to the Catholic community, but to the whole world. Pope Francis sets the tone of this path-breaking encyclical at the outset. Laudato Si, mi signori, praise be to you, my Lord. In the words of this beautiful canticle, St Francis of Assisi reminds us that our common home is like a sister with whom we share our life and a beautiful mother who opens her arms to embrace us. Praise be to you, my Lord, through our sister Mother Earth, who sustains and governs us and who produces various fruit with coloured flowers and herbs. Immediately he continues, This sister now cries out to us because of the harm we have inflicted on her by our irresponsible use and abuse of the goods with which God has endowed her. We have come to see ourselves as her lords and masters, entitled to plunder her at will. This is no endorsement of Hillborn's economic sustainability. Indeed, the fate of fish, the fate of all creatures, is intrinsically linked to us humans. Authentic human development has a moral character. It presumes full respect for the human person, but it must also be concerned for the world around us and take into account the nature of each being and of its mutual connection in an ordered system. Our exploitation of fish, of any creature, has an intimate impact on authentic human development. We are part of an ordered system, with fish and all the other creatures which share our planet. Nor is it enough from this perspective to protect fish as a totality, a biomass. Individual species, and indeed individuals themselves, also matter. It is not enough, however, to think of different species merely as potential resources to be exploited, while overlooking the fact that they have value in themselves. Because of us, thousands of species will no longer give glory to God by their very existence nor convey their message to us. We have no such right. Francis here turns rights on their head. He does not question the rights of animals for protection from us, but rather our rights to exploit them and devastate their environment. Given that so many species face extinction because of human activities, not least amongst freshwater fish, which we have mentioned only in passing so far, this is a powerful message. For Pope Francis, all creatures are linked to each other in our creation, and there is no place for a tyrannical anthropocentrism. A renewed relationship with nature and with all creatures which inhabit this world is not only important for those creatures, but for us humans as well. Modernity has been marked by an excessive anthropocentrism, which today, under another guise, continues to stand in the way of shared understanding and of any effort to strengthen social bonds. The time has come to pay renewed attention to reality and the limits it imposes. This in turn is the condition for a more sound and fruitful development of individuals and society. An inadequate presentation of Christian anthropology gave rise to a wrong understanding of the relationship between human beings and the world. 
often what was handed on was a Promethean vision of mastery over the world, which gave the impression that the protection of nature was something that only the faint-hearted cared about. Instead, our dominion over the universe should be understood more properly in the sense of responsible stewardship. The perspective presented in the Dato Sea provides us with the means to radically reappraise our relationship with nature, and a timely one it is. But what does this mean to our discussion on fish? Firstly, fish must not continue to be the forgotten species. We need to dedicate resources to understanding the marine environment in all its forms, and those creatures which have been, and to some extent remain, abundant within it. We must understand fish, their behaviour and capabilities, and the environments in which they live, and the creatures that share them. We must understand the implications of our actions, and not merely assume our right to take them. Our current ignorance is obvious, and one part of the implication of this is pointed out by Pauline MacLean. Neither are we taking slices out of food webs as if they were apples or cheese, leaving intact the composition and flavour of the remainder. It is more like taking large chunks out of the ingredients of an established recipe. Not only is there less to go round, but also the resulting composition and flavour become very different from the original. To take this analogy further, we have no idea about the nature of this underwater recipe, the flavour it provides, or how it relates to the wider recipe of life on Earth. What are the implications of removing so many fish on the creatures which they consume in order to live? What are the implications for other creatures which would have consumed those fish? What is the implication in the way the seas and waterways work and on climate change? It may seem fanciful to talk of fish affecting climate change, a classic piece of anthropocentric arrogance. So it is worth reminding ourselves that one of the greatest environmental changes this planet has undergone, the great oxidisation event around 2 billion years ago, was the result of the activity of single-celled organisms which inhabited our seas. We simply cannot answer these questions. We do not know, but we need to find out. Similarly, we have no idea of the impact of aquaculture either on the farmed fish or on the wider environment in which they are farmed, though current indications do not seem encouraging. Once again, we need to find out more before we proceed along these lines further than we already have. Above all, we need to treat all creatures with respect. We would argue that we should seek to replace them as food items and particularly to stop the wasteful practice of catching wild fish as feed for farmed fish. If this is untenable, we should ensure that our means of obtaining fish for food does not do wider damage in the environment and ecology than is absolutely necessary. We should treat fish in death, as all animals we kill, with kindness and dignity, and halt cruel and inhumane treatments. We should recognise that fish are part of a common creation of which we too are a part. Whilst we may live in different worlds, we do share one precious planet. Perhaps one step towards this goal, and one which would assist communities which rely on fish for their survival all around the world, would be to end the industrial-scale global fishing, which has become the norm since the end of the war, and return to small-scale local fishing, 
with fishermen charged with responsibility for managing local fish populations and environments. Caring for our common world is rapidly becoming an imperative. To fail in this charge is to invite an existential crisis on many fronts. Moreover, caring for creation, ensuring that we neglect no part of that creation, is vital not only for the fish, for other inhabitants of our waterways, and for all other creatures, it is also vital for us. Each one of us, and humanity as a whole, cannot move forward except in concert with the creation of which we are merely a part. The human person grows more, matures more, and is sanctified more to the extent that he or she enters into relationships. Going out for themselves to live in communion with God, with others, and with all creatures. Quotes and references in that reading were taken from Gareth Roberts, Doctor Who Sharda, BBC Books, 2012. Daniel Pauley and Jay McLean, In a Perfect Ocean, Island Press, 2002. Daniel Pauley, Vanishing Fish, Greystone Books, 2019. Charles Clover, The End of the Line, Ebury Press, 2013. And Pope Francis, Laudato Si, Encyclical Letter, Vatican, available online at www.vatican.va. We hope you enjoyed that reading from Climate Crisis and Sustainable Creaturely Care, Integrated Theology, Governance and Justice, edited by Dr Christina Nellist. And we would like to thank the publishers, Cambridge Scholars Publishing, for allowing us to put readings from that book on our podcast. Thank you for listening to this Catholic Concern for Animals podcast. If you wish to support our work or know more about what our organisation stands for and what we are doing, then please visit our website at www.catholic-animals.com. Thank you.